Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green and I'm your host. And here we are. We're looking at Saturday. And it's the 26th of, no, the 27th, sorry, of February of 2021. So again, the links to the readings are below down there in the description. And so I encourage you again, read them. Read those lessons. Get in the Word of God for yourself. It's fine to listen to me, but don't let me be a substitute for the Lord speaking to you personally and directly through the reading of His Word. So today we're going to jump in, and we've got Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 28 is our first one. And so Moses is kind of wrapping up this period of instruction, this period, this period of his thoughts about the past and the future and all that all wrapped in. He's saying, here's the way to go forward. This is what it needs to look like in the Promised Land. If you're to be the people of God... And you're to continue to maintain possession and enjoyment of the benefits and the blessings of God in the land. Then you shall, therefore, lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Bind them as a sign on your hand. And they do these things, actually, in, in um, Orthodox Judaism. They'll, they will have these things on little things wrapped around their wrists on their hands and frontlets between your eyes. Keep them always before you. Don't be able to look around and not find the Word of God. Always be reminded of it is what he's saying. And then not only that, you teach them to your children, telling of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking in the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Don't let there be a time when you're not speaking of the teachings, the Word of God. Continually be immersed in the word, write them on the doorposts of your house, and they do, and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them for as long as the heavens are above the earth. Which implies there's going to be a time when all that's changed. But as long as they are, keep doing that. Remind yourself, be immersed constantly in the word of God. Don't allow yourself to ever be far from it. So you should be reminded constantly, he says, of the Word of God and the commandments of God. And then he says, if you'll be careful to do all this commandment I've commanded you, loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways and holding fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all those nations before you and you'll dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. If you will walk in Him completely, then then he says God will do all the things that he has promised you to do. This is not that he's saying he's going to bless you and give you, you know, like the health and wealth gospel. No, he's going to keep his promises that he's already made is what he's saying. And so then he's telling him, I'm setting before you two different things today, blessing and curse, and that would be life and death. The blessing, if you obey the commandments, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments. So both of those things go together that you've got to obey the commandments and love the Lord your God. And obeying the commandments is a way of showing that you love Him, you trust Him, and you accept Him as your God, your covenant partner, that you do the things that, that He has laid before you, that you renew the covenant whenever you keep the commandments. You show your love for Him by doing the commandments, particularly when they conflict with something you'd rather do. And so this is all important stuff, but he's telling them how to live once they come into the land in order to avoid those things, those pitfalls and traps that he talked about in chapter 8 particularly that you'll forget once you get into the land and you receive prosperity. And so we preach a prosperity gospel too often in the United States, which is antithetical to actual faith. The worst thing that Moses could imagine for his people, the thing that was most likely to lead them astray, wasn't hardship, it was prosperity. 
And it is. It can become a true snare to us. And so he's trying to say in this passage, if you'll do these things, if you'll put the Word of God everywhere, if you'll have it on your wrists before your eyes, if you'll teach your children, no matter what you're doing, whether you're sitting, whether you're lying, whether you're rising, whether you're walking, if you'll do all that stuff, and if you'll write it on your doorposts and on your gates and everything else, then you'll be okay. So the more you have, the more time you need to spend in the Word of God, lest your wealth and riches and prosperity become a snare to you. I had a conversation about that with a good friend of mine yesterday. That He says, John, I just don't know why God blesses me the way he does. I really don't. He said, I'm not that great a guy. So I don't know. And he said, but that's what causes me constantly to, to talk to him. Because I know that it could all go away because it all comes from him, not from me. It's a wonderful conversation. Now we've got, man, oh man, the biggest temptation that I had today was to blow off everything and do like a two-hour podcast just on John 4, the Samaritan woman. And I've done a whole series on this. You could go on and on forever with the Samaritan woman. It's an extraordinary thing. Jesus hears that the Pharisees know that John, Jesus is making more disciples than John, and so he's becoming more popular, which is a danger to the Pharisees because they feel like that John's a big enough danger to them because he's leading people away from him. And now Jesus is making even more disciples than John, and so, but it's not his time yet, so he leaves Judea and departs again for Galilee, and then we're told by John that he had to pass through Samaria. No, he didn't. They didn't have to at all. Most Jews didn't, wouldn't, in fact, pass through Samaria. They would go a different way to avoid going to Samaria. The Samaritans think they are the true Jews. They think these others are corrupt and apostate. They have only the first five books of Moses, but they keep those, and they say, we worship in the right place. This is the place where you worship is where God put the curses in Deuteronomy. The place where we worship is the places where God put the blessing. There's still a Samaritan um, population in the world, actually, in that part of the world. And at least for a long time, I'm not sure about today, it is the least diverse population on earth. The gene pool is really shallow among Samaritans because even to this day, they've continued to kind of keep separate from everything. So we talk about a couple thousand, three thousand years of something close to inbreeding. But it's because they think they're pure. And they're, they're more pure than the Jews. They, they've only got the five books of Moses. So they're only looking for somebody to come and speak and to tell them things like Moses did, not all the other stuff that the Jews have for their expectation for the Messiah. And so they go into this land and they come to the place. They come to a town called Sychar and they, they go and near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there few thousand years later, they still get water out of this well. This is some serious stuff. You can see why they might believe that they're blessed. Because they have all this stuff and they have all these connections to Jacob even, to Israel, the word would be. So Jesus is tired from the journey. He sits down beside the well. And it's late in the day. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon and a woman comes up. What's unusual for women to be at the well at that time of day. Women tend to come early in the morning or you know, late, late in the day when it's getting cooler because you don't go in the heat of the day to get water. It's hard work. And so there's a woman coming. So there's something unusual about this anyway. And Jesus asked her to give him some water. And, and she said, who in the world do you think you are? That you're asking, you a Jew, or asking me, a Samaritan, to give you, because they hated each other. 
something to drink. And, and Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, which is moving water. And she said, what are you talking about? You don't have anything to drink water with. The well's deep. Where do you get this living water? Kind of reminds you of the conversation he had with Nicodemus, doesn't it? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from him himself. So thousands of years we've been getting water out of this well. Are you better than that? Jesus says, everybody who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman's response is, sir, give me this water so that I don't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. It's a place of pain. She's an outcast from the other women in the village. That's the reason she's there by herself at that time of day. Jesus knew her just the way John said that he knew all people and what was in the heart of man. He knew her. He saw her pain, her need, and her sin all at the same time and offered to meet those things. And then Jesus says, go get your husband and then we'll talk. She said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You've had five, and you live with a man now who's not your husband. What you've said is true. Huh. The woman says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Let's change the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And then he says something that's, man, we wouldn't teach anybody to do evangelism this way, right? You worship what you don't even know. I mean, their pride is we know and you don't. You've lost the thread along the way. We never lost it. But he says, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. I mean, he's confronting her. She, he has just said to her, what you said is true. And then he says, believe me, what I just said is true even though it conflicts with your most deeply held beliefs. But you need to know the truth. You want to speak truth? I'm going to speak truth also. But I'm speaking the truth in love. I don't want you to be led astray any longer. So I'm going to confront it right now and say you have a false belief system. We worship what we know and salvation comes from the Jews and that is the most offensive possible thing you could have said to a Samaritan. And then he keeps on, an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And then she says, I, I know Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll tell us all things, which is exactly what they expected, a prophet like Moses. They didn't expect all the Elijah stuff or the David stuff or any of that. That's not part of their history. So they expected a prophet like Moses to come and tell them things. And then Jesus, remember what John said when he was in Jerusalem and people believed in him, that Jesus didn't entrust himself to him? Listen to this. He didn't tell the people in Jerusalem. He didn't tell the Jews. He didn't tell the Pharisees. He didn't tell the priests. He didn't tell the rabbis. He says to her, this woman, I who speak to you am he. This woman. Not the disciples even. This woman. This horrible, sinful woman. To her, Jesus entrusts himself. And he does so because he knows what's in her heart. 
and he sees something there that's worthy of redemption and worthy of truth because she spoke truly when confronted and now he speaks truly to this woman to whom he entrusts the secret of his identity the thing he wouldn't allow demons to tell didn't need a witness from any man he tells her it's a powerful thing but he's asked her to believe in him she wants what he has to offer but she can only get it at the price of belief she has to believe in the truth in order to receive that living water same with us in Hebrews 5 the writer goes on to talk about the priests the high priest and he says the high priest is still a man still has to offer sacrifices for his own sin, but that's a good thing because it, it helps him to deal with the sin in other people's lives because he's constantly reminded of his own sin. Jesus is different. He said he didn't exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said to him, you're my son, today I've begotten you, and you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. In other words, what he's saying is he had faith. Even Jesus had to have faith. He had to wait and trust that God would raise him to that priestly office, the priest after the order of Melchizedek. He had to pray and make supplications with loud cries and tears. He did that in faith. So he's reminding us of the humanity of Jesus, not just pointing to the divinity, but reminding us of the humanity of Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So he says a high priest can identify with us because he's a sinful man like us, and what he's asking and inviting us to do is by faith to identify with Jesus through obedience, he says. So faith and obedience all have to be coupled in order to receive the gift that's on offer. So I invite you to receive that today. We're going to finish with a prayer from the Psalm 55. Hear my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my petitions. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he'll sustain you. He'll never let the righteous stumble, for you'll bring the bloodthirsty and deceitful down to the pit of destruction, O God. They shall not live out half their days, but I will put my trust in you.